my guest today, someone I am friends with, someone I am a fan of, someone who just put out a new song with his band, The Timeshares, which we will be discussing. My guest today is John Hernandez. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Case. Uh, very happy to be here doing this. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on to uh, talk some shit. Yeah, this is going to be a real shit-talking episode. We're going <laughs> to bury some bands. We're going to put over some bands, and we're going to talk about your band first because you guys just put out a new song, the title of which is The Boot GTFO. I know just listening to the lyrics once or twice, the message seems pretty obvious, but I'm curious from your perspective, how did this song come about? So the song comes about, um, I sent a, like a 30 second voice memo to our bass player, Mike, like, what do you think if we just knock a tune out like this real fast? Um, I think shortly after, shortly after the election, when all the voter fraud stuff started coming out, um, uh, and when I say stuff coming out, I mean absolutely nothing <laughs> happening at all. Um, and I'd read a long piece about the 1776 commission uh, that and that's referenced in one of the verses. And once I got the green light from everyone to like rush into a studio and turn a song out like this, I was able to finish it pretty quick. And uh, it was cool. It was kind of tough because it's like tough to speak to something so, so pressing and, and not doof it up too bad um whether you know if you come off a little too heavy-handed or a little too light-handed i guess but uh i think our approach was to have the release of a pressure valve just that guy's never done anything where he tried to sound smart so why should i <laughs> <laughs> you know we were just like why can't we just put a big old fuck you out <laughs> And I feel like we got it. Oh, I think the message came across very well. Mission accomplished on that front. I'm curious from an artistic perspective. I was just talking about this with Aaron Bentley, who's been on this show before, and you know Aaron. We were talking about, like, in hardcore music, there was a definitely important time in the 2000s where a lot of bands were using samples of George W. Bush in sort of an ironic way. Obviously anything from the DC hardcore scene in the eighties is going to have some sort of Reagan influence on it. But Trump was obviously a different animal. There was certainly no subtlety there. Did you find it hard from an artistic perspective to tackle something so obvious, something where you were dealing with just this concoction of lies? Was it difficult to kind of find your way around that? Weirdly. Yeah. Um, we, I spent a lot of time, for a song that has like barely any words in it, I spent a lot of time sliding those eight or ten words around. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like our, our drummer actually made a point of calling me before we, we did this. And he was like, I want to have this conversation with you about whether or not, like whether we're doing something meaningful or just like blindly throwing gas on a fire. Um, and that was part of it too. Like the, the song, Mole, I mean, the, the bridge where, uh, where I go, I'm not saying your successor is the answer. That wasn't in the song when I sent it to everyone. Uh, our drummer, Eric was like, 
don't you dare let anybody think this is a, an endorsement of Joe Biden. <laughs> I will not play on it. <laughs> so, you know, the whole thing's tough to navigate. Um, but I, you know, uh, and, and the thing too, like when you talk about, um, we have models of bands talking about Bush. We have our models of bands talking about Reagan. But that sort of band doesn't, exist so prominently in this sort of scene anymore i feel like during this administration um everyone's upset but i i, I almost feel like part of that is how with social media we all have like these outlets and we all know we fucking hate this guy um and i feel like art didn't reflect it in the same way and i don't think that's a good thing or a bad thing um necessarily um but i you know it was it was interesting not really having the model for how to go about this dude. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point that I think music specifically, at least in the punk scene, maybe I don't want to say struggled to adapt to it, but again, like 20 years from now, I think there are bands from this time period that are going to be remembered, but it's not for any sort of takedown of Trump. Like it was just, like I come at it from the comedic perspective of someone that, you know, writes jokes, performs comedy. But by January of 2017, I was like, all right, I think we've tapped the Trump well. I think we've got everything we need here. But comedy kept going forward with the Alec Baldwins and whoever else of like, no, we are going to continue making fun of this person. So it is clear what side we stand on. And I, and I think at least in, in our world of music, it was like, no, I, we got it. Everybody thinks this guy sucks. Like, what what else are we going to yeah. do about it? It's a very interesting position to be in. And it's very hard to take shots at somebody who has blown so far past shots. What can you, you, you can't, he, I've never seen any public figure blow so far past criticism. There is, what's the, what is criticism? Everything he says is Charlie Sheen is the only is the last one I could think of. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was that, that's why I was, I, I was so entertained uh, towards the, the real downfall by Giuliani. Cause it was like, this is at least something new. Like everything he says is wrong, but it's wrong in a way that is exciting to me. It's just like, Oh, oh. it's something different than what Trump has been doing. <laughs> Giuliani, I'm from New York. So Giuliani, I've heard about Giuliani, you know, my whole life. And, uh, Watching this all happen, my favorite thing, Giuliani's the best fucking part. Like, like nothing's gonna happen to Donald Trump. He's gonna go back to his fucking freaky Mar-a-Lago and just lock himself away for a while. Maybe he'll show up on Fox or, you know, these new, like, new Newsmax or whatever. Yeah. But Giuliani was like, I'm gonna get a fucking job. <laughs> and he won't. <laughs> and, and he melted on TV, he farted at a fucking hearing. He ruined his whole, whatever was left in that man's life, he fucking ruined <laughs> and for nothing. I, I loved that's, it. That's the reward. It was awesome. I loved that, like, he, not he that touching his... his dick in a Borat movie. <laughs> what's the biggest, what's the in biggest L you could ever fucking dream of? <laughs> I, I don't want to do, like, baseline New York Times Trump-level commentary, but it is insane that with the news cycle we're in, Giuliani touched his dick in a Borat movie and that stopped being a story like two days after the movie came out. It seemed like that deserved a little bit more attention. I know. And we're not even going to, when that guy dies, we're probably not even going to talk about it. Not on the highlight I reel. Mean, There's no know, way. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, fucking the, um, 
he did the press conference at uh at the landscaping shop <laughs> next door to the dildo shop i read the interview with the guy who sells the dildos <laughs> he was as dumbfounded as the rest of us the whole things it just never and he's gonna get he's not even getting paid for what he did <laughs> it's incredible it's awesome i'm glad it happened to him it it rules. I, I don't want to, I'm going to mention a, a name that has nothing to do with the Trump campaign, at least that I know of, and I would hate to associate him <laughs> with Ru- Rudy Giuliani. So I'm going to uh, be careful to say it's a, it's a completely separate transition. Uh, Maxwell Stern on the show. I like Max a lot. He seems like a super nice guy. How, I don't think he has anything to do with Rudy, but I, I don't I think he does like either, <laughs> but I just, I need to make it clear I'm not associating Rudy Giuliani with Max Stern yet. Just need to make that clear. Uh, but what's your relationship like with him? I feel like you guys have toured the, the world together, basically, but I don't know how you guys know each other or really what your relationship is. So my favorite thing about my, my history with Max Stern is, um, so I've known Max for a long time. My timeshares and Signals Midwest did a lot of stuff together. Max is everywhere and everyone knows Max. That's not new. That's always been the case. Um, and uh, Max moved to Philly uh, where I live now. And Max and I always got along. And once he moved here, we just hung out all the time to the point where he joined timeshares. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but my favorite thing about my background with Max is I'm Jewish and people don't always pick up on that because my last name is Hernandez. And I forget that people don't, I assume that if you talk to me for 30 seconds, you go, that's a Jew. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't work on everybody, apparently. And Max Stern's name is Max Stern. So there's no hiding it with that guy. Uh, so for years, I would talk about Judaism. I would make like Jew jokes with Max. Or like if I'd introduce Max to another person I knew who was Jewish, I'd be like, this is my friend Max Stern. I think he might be Jewish. And, but, and then one day where we were on a full U.S. tour with timeshares in Signals Midwest, and I told a story about my bar mitzvah, and Max was in the other room, and he, he dipped his head, and he goes, oh, John, I didn't know you were Jewish, and I was mortified. I was like, what the hell did you think I was doing all these years? <laughs> you must have thought I was a fucking asshole. So, yeah, but uh, once we got that out of the way, uh, yeah, Max, dear friend of mine, I, I, I play on his records whenever I can. I was in a Hold Steady cover band with Max a couple times. Uh, love one of my favorite people in the world. Glad you mentioned the Hold Steady. They were, I sent you a list of topics. They were one of the bands that I wanted to talk about that did not make the cut, but you did just bring them up. So I, mm-hmm. I, I do have to say, I just recently got into the Hold Steady. They were a band that I feel like was on my Twitter timeline every day, and I'm not sure why. And I was kind of to a point where I was turned off by it. And then I saw someone describe them as Springsteen Law Dispute. And that oh, changed wow. my life because I have a huge Law Dispute fan. It's it very me where I was like, yeah, Springsteen, who cares? Law Dispute, though, that I will check out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are the highlights of the Hold Steady? I'm a new fan. What do I need to check out from them? So here's the thing, Case. 
I'm not the right person to ask. All my hold steady stuff is through osmosis. Everyone I know loves the band. I, I mean, I don't know. I love like three or four records, but you know how you people with that, they're like deadheads with that band. Yes. That's Um, in like a band. I would say even like six months ago, I don't think I had heard of. And then all of a sudden the hold steady discourse took control over my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when they first, so friends of mine went to the, the, the get up kids farewell tour, like when they first broke up and they came back from that. I met them at a diner after that show. I had work and I couldn't go. And they were like, you won't believe this fucking band we saw. Like who let them play this thing? And they were talking about Craig Finn and they're waving their arms around at this table. And they're like, this nerd just talks loud <laughs> for a half hour. And that was the first I ever heard of the Hold Steady. I didn't go listen to any. I was like, that sounds weird. And then I saw them open for the Bouncing Souls like a year later. And I called those two friends and I was like, you guys were right. What the hell was that? But then later, um, when the record was sequestered in Memphis, um, the one after Boys and Girls in America. Yeah. um, I heard sequestered in Memphis and thought it was one of the greatest, on the first listen, I thought it was one of the best songs I'd ever heard in my life. And then I went back through the whole catalog and well, not, uh, I still don't like the, the, the first two records that much, but when he starts singing, Oh God, I'm going to get kicked out of rock music for this. Can we delete this part? When he, when Craig Finn starts singing, I really love that band. <laughs> and the cover band we played in um, had a bunch of friends of ours. Like I couldn't say, I couldn't say some of the songs we played. I was like, I was like, Oh yeah, I know that one. And I, did did not. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. They're a band that that really has started to fascinate me because I I do like their sound. Again, the Springsteen element. Who cares? But I'm like, well, this band's kind of doing a lot of spew thing. I'm really into that. Another That's band. So I, interesting. <laughs> That's well, I've never really like. I've never, never heard that. I've never listened to Springsteen really. I've I lived with a guy for two years who he was like, Case, you don't understand. Nebraska would be your favorite record. You need to listen to it. Oh my God. Yo, can we talk about Nebraska for a second? I've never heard it. So please, whatever you have to say, go ahead and say it. Okay. Nebraska's great. Nebraska is so great. But my God, I'm so sick of people being like, have you ever heard Nebraska? Fuck out of here, man. Like Springsteen's cool because he sounds like Meatloaf. He's not cool when he <laughs> plays an acoustic guitar. I don't know. I'm going to get kicked out of rock music for this too. Uh, <laughs> but Nebraska is a beautiful record, but like the band's version of Atlantic City is better than the Springsteen one because it sounds more like the fucking East Street band played it. So <laughs> I love I these know. takes. You this is good. Nebraska. This is this is this is what this podcast needs to be. I, I, I've got a question about someone else in your life, someone who I believe mastered your new song. That is Ian Farmer, who just to give mm, you some context, the show is Art School Albums. I'll, most of the guests on the show bring an album that, you know, I'm in college. Most of my friends are college age, they grew up with that they love. I've been very open about how modern baseball is w- like not even just a band, just one of the most influential things of my entire life. So to me, it's like, oh my God, Ian Farmer mastered this song. That's so cool. But I get the sense that to you, Ian's just like a guy. I, well, so I didn't understand how well how how many people were paying attention to modern baseball at first um we played 
well, there's two instances where this kind of happened. But one year we played fast, and it was a year where we didn't really have any new releases, and we had a line around the block for our venue before we went on, and we were like, hell yeah, people still like us. <laughs> um, and then Modern Baseball was played next, and we saw the reaction to Modern Baseball and, of course, realized a recurring theme in the history of timeshares, that line was not for us. <laughs> but Ian, I actually, so like I, I Ian's the best. I love Ian so much. One time I put up like a, a random like throwaway tweet that was like, can we start an X cover band? And Ian was the first person that responded to it. And I was like, oh, Ian's the coolest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love Ian. Ian's, Ian's, um, Ian's a great guy. Um, I love Slaughter Beach too. I'm sure yes. I imagine you know those records too. Very, very uh, well. Sla Slaughter, the Slaughter Beach records are a little more, a little more like my speed. Um, and Ian's on those as well, or at least on the second one. Um, yeah, no, I mean, great angel of a human being. Yeah, to, to contextualize this for you, I was 15 when You're Gonna Miss It All came out, and I would have gotten into the band pretty soon after that happened. I wasn't around for sports, but by the second time the record came out, I had a friend show it to me, and the same day he showed me Modern Baseball, uh, AJJ, and Johnny Hobo and the Freight Trains, and it's maybe the most impactful day of my life because I got showed like this cool emo band and these cool folk punk bands in just, I mean, I'm here now. It's unfortunate that this is what it led to, but at the time <laughs> it was, it was life changing. So I, I always like seeing Ian's name pop up. I think it's super cool that he's still doing stuff, which leads me to asking you the question. I'm a senior in college now. I'm curious when you were in the 18 to 22 age range, who were sort of the bands that you were losing it for? Oh, wow. So number one, when I'm, when I'm 18 years old, the only, the band that means more to me than anything in the whole world is the Bouncing Souls. Um, no band can ever mean to me, no matter how like nerdy or like jaded I get about music. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm 33. I, I cry when I see the Bouncing Souls play still. Um, and I don't even, and I fucking hate records now. So <laughs> by all bands, but <laughs> But uh, so I love the Bouncing Souls when I'm at that age. Um, you know, all, uh, lots of lots of like by the book punk rock. You know, uh, I love X, The Clash, uh, Rancid. Um, <laughs> the I'm, I'm probably beginning to get into <laughs> Rancid. Uh, I'm probably beginning to get into what I call the indie rock starter pack, um, which is like Super Chunk, Guided by Voices, Wilco, Slater Kinney. <laughs> Um, I, I, had, like I had my super chunk back. phase about two years ago. I was like, oh, super chunk. This all makes sense now. Like I'm still, oh, yeah. even for as much as I think I like alt country, I'm still at a point with Wilco where I'm kind of waiting for it to hit me. I'm still waiting for the day where I sit down. I'm like, oh, Wilco's amazing. I haven't had that yet. I did go through a super chunk phase though, where I was like, oh, this is exactly what I need in this moment right now. I think everyone, when they listen to Super Chunk, realizes that that was the only music they ever needed. <laughs> it's it all, it's pop punk for people who don't want to say they listen to pop punk. Uh, and bless them for it, because I'm often that person. <laughs> and, uh, but I, but it will go. I mean, uh, boy, 
uh, Wilco's one of those bands that like, they put out records faster than I can get into them. So every year I get into the next Wilco album, but I'm still like seven behind. But uh, Max Stern actually just bought me Jeff Tweedy's second book, Write One Song. And I, I hear it's excellent. I just read it. It's great. I haven't read his, his, I also have his autobiography. I haven't read that yet. But, um, cause it's much longer than the 100 page booklet, right? One song. <laughs> but, um, I read that and it's great. I really love, I love Uncle Tupelo. And, um, it's interesting. You bring up the all country thing because myself and the band, um, we often fancy ourselves, um, you know, like all, like big all country fans. But it's, it's, it's funny because we come at it from the poser side where a lot of people come in from the countryside, but I came in from, from punk bands that have longer guitar solos. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, like that's like Tupelo was like perfect for me. And Lucero, I was, Timeshare is fucking practically tore a Lucero cover set for a while. Um, you know, Wilco. But man, I hope the Wilco thing, it, it's like, it's not cool to get into Wilco now. It doesn't matter. Like, no. who cares if you're into Wilco in 2021? But it's still, oof, there's some real shit in there. <laughs> real. I think, if anything, oof. like being in a Wilco would only set me back even more socially. Like, I already have my own obstacles having a music podcast, really being into the emo revival scene still in 2021. Like, it's not great. And I do fear that adding Wilco to the mix is only going to do me more harm than good. Whereas the Bouncing Souls, the only person I know that likes the Bouncing Souls, I guess as much as you do, is maybe professional wrestler Sami Zayn. I know he's a giant fan, but yep. I like, they're cool. A band I definitely haven't shed a tear over. I'm curious as to what drew you into the Bouncing Souls. Well, I think the age difference is a big thing with us and the Bouncing Souls because by the, I mean, now the Bouncing Souls, like the period where you like, where you become like, this band's the only band in the world to me is, you know, back when like True Believers is happening and stuff like that. Uh, like, you know, they're old, they're, when they're old Epitaph records, but boy, um, I'd never heard, I, 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 I knew like skate punk, you know, so like, in middle school, I get into The Offspring, and then I want to hear all the bands on Dexter Holland's label, so I hear AFI, and everything's got this, like, everyone's, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's rock music, everyone's playing a character to an extent, and the first band I felt like wasn't playing a character to me was The Bouncing Souls, like, and, and I still think about that band's lyrics all the time now because they're so blunt and they never try and be anything but blunt and it's like the most beautiful thing it never feels stupid or simple to me it just feels beautiful like it, it's it, it's so genuine and people say that i hate calling bands genuine it's like the wackest thing in the world when people feel like this is genuine rock music oh like a genuine songwriting but i i don't have i don't have a better word you know what i mean it, it feels just like, like an innocent kid who got hurt the whole catalog <laughs> like it like they never wrote to be in your instant messenger away message that reference might not hit with you case <laughs> no it, it, it does it, i don't think it would hit with most 22 year olds but you are talking to me so we're on the same page <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i love them and and there's like this there's this styling to the way they wrote songs that really didn't come from like the tony hawk soundtrack stuff i knew when i was like 15 
it kind of came from like a more classic, um, more from like the canon of like old punk rock records or old pop records uh, or, or, and stuff that I'd be more interested in now, you know, than, than the, the Fat Wreck catalog, for example. You talk about bands being genuine versus bands being characters and there is no better time to break into this topic. The topic of Rancid, a band that I feel like is constantly playing a character Oh, we've talked, uh, we talked right before we started recording about how I feel like you're tweeting about Rancid a lot. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do <laughs> feel like whenever you're tweeting, it's either like you're plugging something cool or it's like a tweet about Rancid. And I just, I'm giving you the platform to air whatever opinions you have about this band right now. We're going to have to go into multiple episodes if you want <laughs> me to air out how I feel about Rancid. Now, I know I said this before the, for the listeners, when, when Case warned me that he was going to ask me this question, I shot confetti out of my ass. I thought it was so funny because my friends and I, friends of mine, like people I know through playing music, talking about Rancid is like this meme we all share. But it's also people my age who play or like ballpark, like you can just quote a Rancid song. You know they know it. We all know these records. Uh, and sure, Rancid is, they're playing characters. Um, nobody sings with Tim Armstrong's voice in real life, but it's a hell of a character. It's, boy, that, that band's catalog. So the tweet that I think spawned this was from my friend Mike Campbell, um, who plays with and is married to Laura Stevenson. And like even that, a thread when you watch who responds to that thread it's like all people i came up touring with who like all had to jump in he tweeted i had a dream that rancid was president and everyone everyone jumped in with some kind of presidential rancid pun that's fucked up <laughs> <laughs> mine was my name is tim i'm a lesser known uh ruler of the free world um and people are going to hear this and and hear the melody of the song i'm referencing <laughs> <laughs> which is like, barely a melody <laughs> even for people my age and i was born i think and out came the wolves came out in 96 i was born in 99 and i still feel like the other like weird punk rock kids in like my junior high school we could all like okay the misfits are cool we all went through our danzig phase and then we kind of all went into a rancid thing and i was a little bit removed from rancid because I thought they were corny. I thought the outfits were dumb and I like didn't totally get it. But then I hear a song like Ruby Soho and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Maybe like, I don't yeah. want to like this band, but I kind of like this band. The real answer to, to why Rancid matters, despite like if, if you weren't, if you weren't around when people thought the band, like when people like peak thought that band was cool, I could see looking at a picture of this band and being like, oh, not for me, no, no, no. But other bands that dressed like that back then didn't make songs like that. You know what I mean? Like, you would look at that, like, I feel like maybe someone now would look at a picture of like, this sounds crazy. I don't know, this, this is a crazy example, but like the casualties and Rancid and think there's anything in common between the two, for example. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rancid wrote these like, 
beautiful pop. I mean, I, I, I throw the song, the, the term pop song around very loosely, you might find over the course of this. <laughs> but Branson wrote these like beautiful pop songs that like there's a real craftsmanship to those songs. And even um, I could see maybe people, I love the first record, but it's a little thrashy. But once you get to like, let's go, the rest of the catalog has these songs where you're like, oh, this band might secretly be smarter than all the other bands. Um, there's a reason they're like, you know, think of the bands from like the mid nineties, like punk rock, MTV boom. Um, they don't sound like Rancid. Rancid's an outlier. Uh, Cause they sound ridiculous. <laughs> but like you said, like a song like Ruby Soho, for a song that Tim Armstrong sang, and he also, in Time Bomb, he sang both their big singles. A song, for a song that Tim Armstrong sang to be on the radio, what a, I can't think of a bigger hurdle to commercial success than Tim Armstrong. <laughs> um, so it just means your song can't be fucked with. That's all that's happening, baby. The song cannot be fucked with. The thing you might find me tweeting about the most is, and hear me listeners, the best Rancid album is not Outcomes the Wolves. Outcomes the Wolves is just a fucking fantastic album. The best Rancid album is their 2000 self-titled, uh, the second self-titled, and I'm gonna fucking tell you why because they were done making fast punk rock songs for the most part. But then they made one more record of all thrashy punk rock songs just to say, hey, we still do this better than all of you. It's the most baller move anyone ever made. And there's two pop songs on it that are better than every melodic punk band's songs, <laughs> like every, every other band's catalog. Radio Havana, I'll rant to 2000. I'm kissing, you can't see it, but I'm doing the, the Pizza Man finger kiss. Uh, it's magic. I, I would the call it magic. the Italian kiss, but Pizza Man finger kiss is much funnier, and that is that is now what that move is called. <laughs> that is think. so funny. I did an episode about Limp Biscuit, and we talked a lot about Whoa. the the cultural relevancy of Limp Biscuit, and in specifically how 9/11 directly led to Limp Biscuit's decline. Limp Biscuit is specifically a pre-9/11 band. The very fun episode I would recommend our listeners check out. They haven't heard it, but in 2000, like to me, that is like okay, Rancid's old news, Lincoln Park, or whatever other new metal band. Like that's what's in. Is was the 2000 self-titled record? Was that like a hit? Because I know nothing off of it. So it's hard to say because the ceiling rises with a band like Rancid because they had commercial like radio success. Um, I think like compared to other punk bands of the time, they probably wish they sold as many records as Rancid 2000 did, but it doesn't have like, you know, you'll never hear a song from Rancid 2000 on the radio. And it's sandwiched between Life Won't Wait that had a few singles on it and Indestructible, which was the major label album um, that had fall back down and red hot moon on it um so it is i guess weirdly maybe in, in a commercial sense it's the least popular of that run of albums for sure they have four of three of four albums in there have radio singles but they're not as good as rants 2000 and what is <laughs> this is the official petition for Ian Cohen to do a Pitchfork Sunday review of Rancid 2000. I would like to read that. I would My like the official Pitchfork rating. <laughs> I'm not alone, baby. There are people out there that are waiting for Rancid 2000 to get its fucking due. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm gonna when you're gonna post this, 
and I'm going to get IMs like, thank you for saying that. That had to be said. I said IMs. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I meant text messages. <laughs> it's bringing me back to 2000. Baby. Oh, man, a simpler time, I'm sure. I, you know, I, I was barely around <laughs> for it, but it seemed much better than, than what we're doing. The day I got Rance 2000, my mom drove me to the mall and I bought two CDs that day. One was Rancid 2000, and the other was the Ataris. Oh, God. The one after, like, Broken Hearts, Blue Skies, 13X. It's called, like, End is Forever or something. And, boy, uh, putting taking one out of my little Sony Walkman and putting the other in nearly gave me whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> one band. If you think Rancid's not cool, check out the Ataris. <laughs> Let me ask you, this is something I'm always curious in. Do you remember the first album you bought with your own money? Are you asking me this because you know, are you nardwaring me? Do you know the answer? No, to this? I, 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 look, I would love to nardwar you, but I don't know the answer to this. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you asked this question because the first, oh my God, because I, I've answered this question to people who haven't, who weren't asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the first album I ever bought with my own money, I sat in a blockbuster video and I held two CDs up. And one was, this is not, well, one's cool. Um, one was the soundtrack to Grease on CD. I just wanted a way to listen to it on my own and <laughs> without putting the tape in. And the other <laughs> was Pieces of You by Jewel. And I selected, yep, sounds like you know the answer, I selected. <laughs> Pieces of You by Jewel, which is an album full of red hot bangers. I this <laughs> podcast is incredibly pro Jewel and pro Cheryl Crow. I love those two women. I think they're incredible. Cheryl Crow is, is a legend, a legend in the game. I can't Infallible. like I, it's it's a dumb statement to make, but sometimes I listen to Cheryl Crow. And I know she was like a giant star, obviously, but I'm like, I don't understand like why we're not honoring her she's so talented it's so weird she spent so much of her life with kid rock that's a weird thing that i can't totally get past but cheryl that song kicks ass though right oh pictures of you or no what's it called great tune it's just called picture but (laughs) that's um, because uh there's a cover uh christian from the hotel here and i can't remember who the the other person was but they did like a space jam session and they cover that song and it was so good. The hotel oh, that rules collabs with kid rockets, but I've always wanted, you know, you know, I bought devil without a cause day it came out too. So I'll- that, that rocks. <laughs> I mean, I grew up like, like my dad was incredibly pro like, Oh yeah. Kid rock limp biscuit, like everlast. These are, this is good music. It's so I have a real soft spot for that sort of stuff. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> If don't listen to Devil Without a Cause now, <laughs> you're not gonna. It's it's shocking. I don't know how we I don't know how we let that one happen. We were all like, yeah, that's okay. Even uh, for the time, but, uh, it was like, really, it's 1999, and we're just let okay, we're yeah, gonna no, do this. People go, it was a different time, but I go, I was there. It wasn't that different. <laughs> if anything. Uh, but, uh, that era of Kid Rock gave us his Woodstock 99 performance where he came out in a red Detroit Tigers jersey with a tank top underneath and red flashy sweatpants. 
have you ever worn the same outfit on stage? What do you like touring in? Oh, I was worse. <laughs> I dressed worse than that. When I look back at old pictures of, of timeshares when we were young and the band we were, I, I joined, they were a band called The Knockdown and I joined in the last year and the singer left and that became timeshares. When I look at the way I dressed, I'm like, no wonder nobody ever gave us money. Uh, I'm wearing like gym, sh well, gym shorts are cool if you're in a hardcore band. We were, we were not. <laughs> um, uh, I'm wearing like plaid shorts. I'm, I'm like, I'm like dressed like I'm trying to repel people from the band. Um, I should have dressed like Kid Rock. Um, I think most I, people should. I think that I didn't would be have a the positive. And on the Cheryl Crow front, uh, my girlfriend and I just watched Cheryl Crow's Tiny Desk. Yeah, it's um, awesome. You know, when she plays, um, she's playing like lead guitar parts, which isn't to say, that's just so cool to me. It's not to say like, I ever doubted Cheryl Crow's a great guitar player. It's just like, whenever you see like a, a super famous artist like that, and they have a huge band behind them, and they're the one playing the lead guitar parts, you're like, Cheryl doesn't have to do that. She's, she's choosing to do that. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> and we stand Cheryl Crow for that. I, we I, simply must. <laughs> we simply must. I'm curious. I wanted to ask you this just because uh, you'll understand this reference. It will alienate 99% of our listeners. But anyway. <laughs> I love, it may, I, I, I think you will, maybe you won't, but I love watching early 2000s IWA Mid-South professional wrestling shows where you have these incredible wrestlers, you know, CM Punk, Cole Cabana, Chris Hero, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio at times, and they are wrestling in front of 12 people in the middle of Indiana. And I know they want to hone their craft. I know there were bigger things ahead. I can't fathom doing that. And I just have to ask now, what's like the dumbest show you've ever played? Um, I love using IWA myself to get to this question. Bravo case. Uh <laughs> <laughs> really excellent stuff um so i i didn't want to i wanted to get this one right because we've been a band for a long time and we've played so many bad shows that they're just one blur of a miserable adult life to me um we recently um our drummer eric and i were talking and he recalled that we were together on tour when obama was elected we were in louisville with Polar Bear Club. And I was like, oh God, I've been doing this with you for that long. So I had to go to our, our bass player, Mike, and get the, the official list of the worst, the just absolute dirt worst shows we've played. And there were a couple of great ones. <laughs> there was one, my favorite bad show, uh, we were in Switzerland and um, we pull up to this venue, we were in Zurich. And um, there's a line around the, around the back of the venue. And the reason this was shocking to us will come in a second. Um, but we walk in, we walk past all these people and we were like, oh, this is a very young crowd. That's good. It's nice to see, you know, kids coming out to an all ages show. And then we found out there was like some kind of European pop star doing a meet and greet um upstairs so this line was not for us or the headliners that night um a german i believe psychobilly band named frantic flintstones 
Um, and that's real. You can look it up. They have more plays than Timeshares does on Spotify. <laughs> and the worst, for me, the worst part of that show is there were so many volume restrictions and we were using borrowed gear that with the volume restrictions, like the amps wouldn't break up. And I was in, so be, between being bamboozled by this young pop star and frantic Flintstones not wanting to hang out with us, <laughs> I was already in a shit mood. And our amps were just like totally clean. And I played that show like the pissiest little kid. I was just like, ugh, just get me out of here. Like barely making a fucking move. And the guy who was driving us on that tour came up to, came up to me after and was like, wow, can you believe all those kids in the back? And I go, yeah, they were here for some kind of young European pop star. And he goes, no, not those kids. Uh, all those kids in the back of the room drove a long way just to see you guys because this was the closest date on the tour they could get to. And I felt like such a piece of shit. <laughs> I played that show like I was like mad at the room. I stared at the floor the whole time. Um, what else? There's another one. Um, so back early in the band touring, if we had a day off, now a day off, we'd be like, fuck yeah, day off. Uh, but back then we had a day off. Uh, I would go on the MySpace show search and type in the zip code we were at. And I'd be like, guys, why, why are we going to be out here and not play a show? And I led us into some of the shittiest places you could ever imagine. Um, that thing was a scourge to bands. Um, one time, um, oh, Mike sent me the names of all the cities. We played, I found a show at a place called like Pizza Plus Planet somewhere in Florida. And I just read the band names and I didn't know any of them. And this is back when we were still the knockdown. And we get there and they let us open. They let us play 20 minutes and just get out. And then all the other bands start setting up or like start wheeling their gear out. And they all have giant crosses on their straps and their kick drums. And it was a Christian metalcore show. And <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> and you didn't have to fit the vibe. You didn't have a Christian song tucked away in your back pocket. <laughs> I mean, I could have, no, <laughs> no, I did not. And I'm talking, I'm talking like, quiet parts before the breakdown where people would be like, I thank God for everything I have. And then like the double kick drum, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> like I'm talking like way past the point of parody. Um, and another one, last one, I promise. <laughs> I, uh, we, we, another MySpace show search. This time we were already timeshares. I found us a show at the, we were in Toledo. I forget the name of the place, but it was like, the venue was like an info shop, like zine shop kind of place. And we were like, oh, they'll be cool. They'll be super cool. We get there and everyone's a fucking freak. <laughs> everyone's a fucking swamp person. And uh, we, uh, I hope all the bands are broken up because <laughs> I'm about to name them. <laughs> um, so the, the, we, we play first, they let us squeeze on. And then the second band is this band that's doing a, um, like a sort of like Red Hot Chili Peppers, if you couldn't play your instruments thing, called, and they were called the Grubs. 
And I'll never forget it because our old guitar player before Max was in the band, my dear friend Jay, he leans over to me. So this band starts their set by going like, my name's MC and we be Grubs. And then they start playing like they're losing at Guitar Hero. <laughs> and my buddy Jay, he leans over to me and he's hammered because what else were we going to do? And he leans over to me and he goes, I really get these Grubs, man. And I, I, I was like, I'm going to go to bed in the van. But the, the headliner of that show was this band called Right Wrongly. And they were like an acoustic, like slap, slap the acoustic guitar kind of jammy band. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. On, I don't know what we were doing. Who, I don't know which band was the wrong band for the show, us or them. But um, they had their, so it's this tiny little basement in this info shop. And they mic'd up all their drums. Um, and I should, before I forget this, the only reason I'm naming the bands is because I imagine they're not bands anymore and because their names were The Grubs and Right Wrongly. It's an important part of the story. <laughs> it's not to be mean. <laughs> it's just a byproduct that I'm also being mean. All the, <laughs> all, the, all the drums were mic'd up and we were like, what the hell are they doing? It took them like 45 minutes to set up for 20 people four of them having just found the show on MySpace show search. And we go uh, afterwards, they have this big mount rack next to them. And we're like, what's that? And uh, they're like, oh, we record all the shows and we sell them at the merch table. We can burn you a CD on the spot. And all of us are just like, these guys are psychos. <laughs> but we're like, oh, cool, cool. So we, uh, uh, some other kid who was at the show, and us had to help them load that big fucking rack up. And we get to the top of the, of the stairs and we're like breathing heavy, this big piece of machinery they brought for no reason. And we get up there and uh, the kid who, who didn't play the show was like, all right, well, I'm going to run. It was great to watch you guys. And he goes, uh, oh, wait, hold on a second. And he reaches into, the, the, into like this, this rack and he pulls out a CDR. And he just tosses it to the kid and he goes, thanks for coming. Take it home with you. And I nearly shit myself. I've never seen anything so <laughs> diluted in my life. <laughs> just unbelievable. I mean, like, and then there's other stuff where, like, we played a show we didn't know was someone's birthday party and her dad made <laughs> us take pictures holding our instruments after. <laughs> but I don't know. Touring sucks. No one should do it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Well, on the flip side, because I know I know you mentioned earlier, uh, if there if there was a timeshares book and or documentary, I think it would be called Timeshares. Uh, this line is not for you. You mentioned playing after <laughs> modern, after modern baseball yep. at Fest. Uh, I've got I've got two more topics that kind of intertwine with one another. Have there been bands on the road that have opened for you that have gone on to be like, oh, that's like a fucking band in the scene that everybody knows, and they were just shitty little kids at the time. Um, yeah. Oh, I bet there's really great examples. Um, if I think hard about it, Glockamora played before us a bunch. That's awesome. Everyone. Uh, but I mean, Glock, we were, that was never a case where like, we were always like, they were on equal footing or then everyone fucking loved them. And they should. Glockamora is a great band. Yes. Um, who else? Um, we just did a tour semi a couple years ago with uh restorations 
where Wild Pink opened the show. They were brand new and they came up to both of us after. Now we know those guys, but they came up to both of us after and were like, please take us on tour sometime. And we were, even at that point, we were like, that's funny as hell. That band's <laughs> going to be fucking huge in 15 minutes. <laughs> like, like, like by the time we walk out of this room, that band's going to be huge. Um, I don't know though. Uh, I'm sure there's there's a million. I know back when, in, in the old band, when we played with, um, we played with Polar Bear Club and got on with them and they were like, you know what, we're going to take you guys on tour. And they ended up not being able to because they had to instead go on a tour they were asked to do with the Gaslight Anthem. Not bad. <laughs> um, and, that was, <laughs> and that was it. No more, no more calls to the knockdown or timeshares after that. <laughs> but okay, anyone would have. And then I saw them on like an ad in like Sears or Macy's and I was like, oh. <laughs> huh. um, it seemed to work out for them all right. I always say the greatest thing about the, the, the cool thing about being in timeshares, and there isn't many, is um, there was a lot of stuff we were in the room for. You know, like uh, we were around and it was nice. Um, and it's cool. I mean, these are, these are our friends. Um, so, and I can't tell anyone they're my friends because at this point it sounds like I'm like an obnoxious name dropper. Now I pretend I don't know people because <laughs> I think it makes me sound obnoxious when I'm like, yeah, it's a friend of mine. <laughs> well, you get one more segment to name drop as much as you want. I feel like I probably found out about the timeshares through a fest poster because I think you've been on pretty much every fest poster. Uh, I was just doing the math today. It's, quickly approaching one year since I've been to a show and it sucks and I have not made the trip down to Gainesville for a fest but it seems like something that once I can it's something I need to do off the top of your head what are some fest memories that come to mind so the cool thing about fest is so it's it's almost it's cool in a lot of ways to hear that we've been on hear someone say that we've been on almost every fest poster because fest was like a thing I would sit on like the school computer in freshman year of high school and be like, oh, I wish I could go to that one day, you know? Um, and now we've played a million of them. Um, and it's really, it's like, it's, that's my Christmas that weekend. Um, and it, it, it evolved. When we first went, um, we were like starstruck and for nothing. It's not that kind of festival. Um, it's the most like, street level normal festival like not big deal shit festival that there is really that's part of the appeal but it was such a tremendous part of like the canon of like the music we cared about we couldn't believe we got to go play it um as far as stories go there's a very legendary um fest 10 against me set where they played uh like a million songs and didn't speak between them and I'm asleep in that crowd because I was direly sick. And I was like, no, I'm going to watch this set. And I just fell asleep up in like the, like the, the rafter seats in the old venue they used to have for fest where that set happened. And everyone could smoke up there. And I'm just like, I just went to sleep and just got covered in cigarette ash. <laughs> Sucked. <laughs> what else? Youth Brigade played and I'm the only person I've ever known who likes Youth Brigade. So I just went to every Youth That's Brigade set. That's sick as like, hell. I didn't realize they uh, played a fest. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit <laughs> except me. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I got to walk right up to the stage where they played. I went to like, 
they had they had just put out a documentary about the history of BYO Records and Youth Brigade. And I was like, I'm going to that. And all my friends were like, have fun. <laughs> and I went and I just like sat at a table with Youth Brigade while the fucking documentary was airing. That was cool. Um, a lot of it's a blur, but it's cool because over time it changes. When you get to do it for that long, um, it becomes, for me, playing is like, just a small part of the appeal now. Um, now it's where I get to see all my friends. You know, a lot of people don't tour the way they, we don't tour the way we used to. Um, for a lot of us, it's the only time we get to see each other. Um, and these are people that like, it's very cool to have people from all around the country that I've known since I was like 22, 23, 24, and I get to like see them in one place. Um, it's really a wonderful thing. And now I play in Max's band when we're down there. Um, the last two years I played at the Maxwell Stern set and it just like sucks me into a whole different part of that community. Like the part that like Max was surrounded by and it's just like more like the sweetest people in the world. Um, the guys from like Dikembe, uh, Adam who plays in Sincere Engineer, plays drums in the Max band when we're down there. Like um, that whole crew is just, it's just lovely. It's really great. Yeah. It it sounds tremendous. Obviously, Max Stern's such a nice guy. Can't believe he did this podcast. Feel so yeah, and that's that's a thing too. Max, we we're shitty. <laughs> we're like we're from like New York and started touring when we were like twenty one, so we didn't. We're just we were ant. We were monsters. I anyone who knew me when I was twenty one, I was not like I was a swamp. Like I I know I already used this, but I really was like a fucking swamp monster, um, just a cave person. I was like the walking keg stand. It's, I, I was despicable. So people, when people still know me who, from back then who weren't like that, I'm still like, I'm sorry. It's a miracle you still will talk to me. Um, Lauren from Warriors, um, right before they moved out of Philly, it was the night, the last night we did the, the whole city cover set. And I got kind of drunk that night and we talked for a minute and I, I went through this whole, I must've sounded like a lunatic. I was like, I thought you hated me. <laughs> Lauren was in the measure who were like heroes to us. And uh, I was like, you must've thought I was an animal, that we were the biggest idiots in the world. <laughs> and it's this, it's this message I want to put out to everyone who ever knew us from back then. But Max's friends, Max was a much different 21 year old. Everyone who surrounded Max and Sigils Midwest are very sweet. It's much less of a shit show than the people who generally surrounded time shows. Well, John, I'm glad you did this. This was uh, the most fun hour I've had in quite some time. We covered Rancid. We covered Cheryl Crow. <laughs> we covered timeshares. That's really all you could ask for in a single podcast episode. Where can the people find you if you want to be found? Where can the people find your music, which I'm sure you'd like people to find? Please plug whatever you have to plug. I'm always desperate to be found, Case. Um, the band's, the band's uh, Twitter is Timeshares Music. We're on Instagram at Timeshares. I know it's tough to Google us. We really didn't think that one through. I always say we may as well name the band Porno. Uh, <laughs> but if you look for us on Spotify, we have the new song, um, The Boot, Get the Fuck Out. Um, you have a split with Captain. We're sinking one of my all-time favorite bands. We didn't get a chance to touch on that, but oh my god, you have a split with Captain. We're sinking. I think that's so cool. Oh. I don't know if anybody else does. 
that's one of those things where in 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 the chat I've seen you bring that band up and I've like I've wanted to be like I could I might sound obnoxious if I go you know my band did a split with them <laughs> like I didn't like realize that until very recently I was like oh wait a minute that well because we've known each other for a long time I only very recently was like oh that's the guy from a band that I listened to like it did not register with me and then the more i find out of like oh that's right like this guy recorded with captain we're sinking insane to me uh go listen to that split and go listen to the new song in fact while we're talking about captain a quick a quick segue here i got to briefly play music with bill their drummer we played together briefly for our friend shannon Mosier, and then we played together for uh my friend jeff riddle and uh Bill and I are both on a record. Bill's on the whole thing. I'm on some of it that our friend Jeff Riddle made. Um, go look that up. And, uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, don't forget, though, the most important thing is to look up Timeshares, the band <laughs> uh, on Spotify. We gotta, we're going to go in the studio at the end of the month to finish, like, the third part of a three-part set of EPs that we began in 2018. Um, and my personal Twitter is uh, Fat Man's All Right. I really got to change that. <laughs> and, um, and, and Max Stern. Um, I play with Maxwell Stern, as we've mentioned. I play with my good friend and a very talented songwriter, Roger Harvey. Um, his stuff's all over uh, Spotify. He just put up a new song called What a Weird Hill to Die On. That's really good. And um, there, was some, there was one more thing. Oh, God. Oh, the plugs are the scariest part. I, I will say this uh, to give you a second to, to think. Max Stern seems to be putting out a new song like every week right now. His work rate is disgusting. He works too hard and puts out too much quality stuff. I knew this was going to come around to work rate at some point. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> no, you know what the worst part is? Um, I was asked to play out a bunch of these songs and I could, and there's some of Max's best songs and it's because I have a Chromebook so I can't record music. I bought this fucking Chromebook and it's just a brick that does, as you found it's by the way, it took us like five tries to do this fucking podcast because I have a Chromebook. Um, but no, yeah, Max is turning out a bunch of music. Max is about to, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but Max is about to put out two more songs that I did play on. Um, it's unbelievable. Soon. It's like just this machine of content that Max Stern has become, but it's all good content, so I'm not going to complain about it. Really, unbelievably prolific uh, songwriter. He's, I mean, he's writing uh, Signals Midwest songs, too. Like, he's writing for multiple projects. He's, he's, a, he's a lunatic. Uh, just a maniac. I but, think on yeah. that note, yes. <laughs> Max Stern is a lunatic, and this has been the Article Albums Podcast. Thank you, John Hernandez, for being on. This was a blast. If you want to Thank get in touch so with me, me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Case Low, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. If you don't want to know about my personal life but want updates on the podcast, this podcast is on Instagram at Art School Albums. New episodes every Thursday. John Hernandez, thank you so much. This was a blast. Get the fuck out!